0: Welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I
1: am Janelle. <laughs> uh, I am Vicky. <laughs> oh, I I was trying. To, I was, there was a point in time where I was trying to learn French from mm-hmm. like an app. and I yeah. Muzzy? Was it Muzzy? It was not Muzzy. <laughs> I know, comment allez-vous? Je m'appelle
0: Janelle. My name is Janelle.
1: I know Amelie du Fromage. Amelie du Fromage from
0: Dexter, obviously.
1: Je suis la juvie. Feche la vache. Oh yes. I think that's fetch the cows. It's uh-huh. a money python thing. Feche la vache. What? Feche la vache. Hints for what's happening. <laughs>
0: Welcome. Oh my god. <laughs> We're gonna podcast.
1: Yeah this this will be a this will be a fun one. I'm actually kind of excited. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know the story that I'm covering. i kind of hope you don't because it's I don't know too much. Really fun. Out of this place that we're gonna talk about. Yeah. (laughs) So this this will be a really fun episode for Mm -hmm. me at least. Very light. Nice. Mine
0: too. Mine's very light.
1: (laughs) After last week, (laughs) we are after last episode. We need something to pick us back up, right? (laughs) You know, bootstraps and things. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, <laughs> Uh So on that note, let's head over to the newsroom. To breathe, our food is
0: unfit to eat. We sit watching our
1: TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 oversize and 63 fired on crimes. As if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad. Worse than bad. So, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, or a couple episodes ago, it might have how been. the world was falling down around us. Yes, yes. um, <laughs> no, we thing. talked about, if you remember, two police officers who ignored a call to catch a Snorlax on Pokemon Go. Does that was this, a long time do ago. Do you recall this? Yeah. Okay. That was more than two weeks. It was a very long time ago. <laughs> I saw a couple episodes. A couple episodes. Um, so, Lewis. Did they go to Pokemon L- Jail? No, no. <laughs> well, maybe um, Louis Lozano and Eric Mitchell. They so this is an incident in 2017 where they decided to ignore a call for a request for backup to a robbery at a Macy's instead spending the next 20 minutes trying to catch a Snorlax on Pokemon Go, which if you're none, the rarest unfamiliar, um, it's, actually it's really not. It's, it's not unless it was a shiny, maybe, but um, they never are. They just take a lot of balls to get. Hey, <laughs> hey Pokeballs. <laughs> um, if you're unfamiliar, Pokemon Go is a Pokemon game where you travel to, um, it's like an ARG kind of. Mm-hmm. You travel to various locations in order to catch Pokemon. You know, gotta catch them all.
0: Pokemon Go to the polls, Do you remember that?
1: Yes. That's fucking stupid. Yes. <laughs> so I hate everything. <laughs> After this incident, they were fired. I'm shook. <laughs> As the kids say. <laughs> um and this was in California. So um they were okay, California. They were fired the Board found that they were guilty on multiple counts of misconduct based in part on a digital in-car video system recording that captured petitioners willfully abdicating their duty to assist a commanding officer's response to a robbery in progress and playing a Pokemon mobile phone game while on duty. Um, okay. So that was April 15th, 2017. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They have since appealed the decision. Um, they were arguing that the city violated the law by using the police car's digital in-car video system recording as evidence and by denying them Mm. protections of the public safety officer's procedural bill of rights act. Mm. So they're basically like, we're cops, we're protected.
0: That's why they put cameras and
1: everything to watch you. Mm -hmm. So no. So the decision, the um decision to hear the case or to hear the appeal was denied. Good. I'm glad they are pretty much agreeing um, with the original. Nice try. Fuck the original. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was also, and this is all from NPR, um, they were accused of making false statements about their lack of response and their involvement with Pokemon Go. Um, I don't catch them all, okay? (laughs) Quote, for example, they said that they were only talking about the augmented reality game rather than actually playing it. Sure, sure, sure. So, like, the cameras caught them talking about it but not actually playing it. So, anyway, the appeal was denied. (laughs) They... Are, does not appear to me like they're going to be getting their jobs back. Good, fuck um, them. <laughs> Yeah, there's like this whole long article. Anyway, wanted to give an update. We don't we don't follow up on all these stories, but honestly, I keep seeing this one come up because it is so unusual. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: for yeah. a cop to Most just of the time they'd be well, like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure.
1: Yeah, I mean to to not respond two because weeks paid of vacation. Go. And yeah, and paid what? <laughs> yes, right. um, okay, we are going to move on to Netflix and Kill this week. It's a little different. It's not as crimey as you would think. Far more <laughs> culty, I would okay. say. I'd get down to cults. We're talking about The Deep End oh on Hulu. God. Because Dear Teal, God. Teal Swan, man, she's a piece of work.
0: <laughs> if you want to listen to like a really, really good in-depth coverage of her uh someplace underneath okay uh, is a podcast that did like a fucking a
1: million parts on her okay it's really good um i was actually gonna mention so before we dive into the deep end Uh um, end. (laughs) i would actually suggest listening to the podcast the gateway by (laughs) jennings brown um it was done via i wanted to say it was medium but i don't think that's right anyway um so, Jennings Brown did this podcast that looks at sort of uh Teal Teal Swan and her journey into becoming a pseudo-cult leader. Swindler. I mean what? <laughs> um <laughs> And he was actually like an executive assisting producer on The Deep End. They kind of like based it on his podcast. But The Deep End itself, it's a Hulu documentary, Hulu Mm -hmm. original, four episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, The way they ended it, I was like, is there more? I'm confused. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it looks at Teal Swan and sort of her empire, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's not really like a name for them. I think they, but other than like the Teal tribe. Yeah. Um, but Teal Swan is essentially a guru. I would say she's, um, a sort of spiritual leader that talks a lot about self-improvement in a very visceral in your face kind of way that.
0: Like a really fucked up Deepak Chopra.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, um, I don't even, it's so weird to me to try to describe it because it's a lot of blame. Like, yeah, to me, like, it's like, it sounds like it. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, if your life is not good, it's because you're doing, you're doing something to to fuck it all up. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is very brash like that. I mean, she uses a Mm -hmm. lot of language that is not typical, I think, of what you would consider from like spiritual leaders.
0: Yeah. Especially because mm-hmm. a lot of the things she says has been basically like telling people
1: to kill themselves. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so part of the reason yep. I included this one, because it, we do talk about cults and sort mm-hmm. of their effect on people. Um, but also there is this question of whether the things she said has encouraged people to commit suicide that were her followers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say she has not been convicted of a crime. Um. Yeah, she but has. I'm sure, it'll come. Yeah, she. I, at this moment in time, she has not been convicted of anything, and we will not de- definitively say yes or no. Mm-hmm. But she has been investigated several times. She has been investigated. Um. Interestingly enough, in the documentary, they hire their own private investigator mm-hmm. to look into them. Who definitely, spoiler, concludes they're leaning towards cult. Yeah. <laughs> but she does use a lot of language to the effect of. Straight up telling, asking someone, well, why haven't you killed yourself? Yeah. If you want to kill yourself so badly, why haven't you done it yet? That type of thing, um, <laughs> which I would say to the normal person definitely sounds like encouraging suicide. Yeah. But again, she is n- not been convicted of anything. <laughs> I'm saying this to cover our asses because I feel like even with our tiny little podcast, she's kind of litigious and yeah. would go after that shit. So mm-hmm. definitely worth a watch. There is a lot of talk of suicide so like yes. beware for your mental health state. Mm-hmm. um child sexual abuse child sexual abuse yeah. recovered memories like mm-hmm. she deals a lot with recovered memories yeah um the documentary itself was filmed over the course of three years while they were given access to her i actually found out um in a later interview with jennings brown that the three years were actually like the covid years mm-hmm. so she has this retreat in like uh the caribbean somewhere it's like one of these like off like out of the u.s type of retreat places Mm -hmm. where people will go for like a week rich intensive thing but they were not doing that at the time this was actually like at her house Mm -hmm. it also catches the group in a really interesting time of transition Mm -hmm. when one of their main Um, inner circle. Inner circle, people leaves. He was with Teal for 18 years. They had previously dated and yeah, it was they like, were together together. Yeah. <laughs> and he filmed all of her videos and did a lot of manager type things. Mm-hmm. And then he got married and things kind of spiraled very quickly. All of this, all of this is on film. Yeah, because um, Teal hated his wife. Mm-hmm. She was yeah, threatened. because it took. She was threatened. Yeah, it took. It's it's so funny. This is one of these instances where I'm watching this and I'm thinking, as a person, like if you were T. L. Swan and you watched this, I already know what her reaction was. Mm-hmm. But you watch this and you think, man, I look like a real fucking asshole. Maybe I should reevaluate how I deal with people. Her response was release all of the footage. They edited this to make me look horrible, but I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you just are horrible. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's a lot. Yeah. But I was very anxious when this came out. It's beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's filmed in a very like cinematic way mm-hmm. with these kind of like montages and like overlays of things from the past and the present and like I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was really good. Thoughts? Do you wanna Do you have anything? Yeah, there was one part
0: where they were dipping the woman who kept telling telling everyone that she was going to kill herself, and she's tried to kill herself multiple times, into the water for that stupid cold therapy treatment. That part was a little
1: excessive. It's supposed
0: to, like, simulate
1: drowning, I think, is the idea. Because
0: that's what happens when you drown in cold water.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. So... Yeah, very weird. There's also some, like, medium-type stuff, like yeah. mm-hmm. talking to the dead type stuff. Mm-hmm. I, they didn't really go into that very much. No, they had one little scene with that guy um, and his the dude's wife, Blake's wife, mm-hmm. where she, like, channeled the guy's mom or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that is, like also a part of Teal Swan's thing is like this sort of Mm -hmm. contacting the dead stuff. So yeah. And she said that her
0: parents absolutely hated her because she was so fucking weird because she saw all these things. And I'm like, yeah. Or were you just a terrible person from the jump? Yeah.
1: And (laughs) she has had some abuse things in her past. Mm -hmm. um, Not to invalidate that, like, but often abused go on to become abusers. So, right. So I would say, check it out. Check out the gateway. Check out, what was the name of the podcast? Oh,
0: Someplace Underneath.
1: Someplace Underneath. Make up your mind for yourself. They're on the last podcast network. Okay. They're def- it's, she's definitely like a polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. Check it out and make up your mind because this is, I think, a group that we'll have to watch in the next couple of years. Like, Oh,
0: yeah. Right there with Jared Leto's
1: cult. Mm-hmm. It still keeps happening. Yeah. I'm surprised those two aren't like super friends or right? married. Maybe they are. Not married friends, but yeah, yes. Um, This is that part of the show where you could say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Uh, This might actually not apply. Yeah, I don't (laughs) know. Not for me, but um, this is going to be a fun one. Unless you're, um, you know, not ready to hear
0: some Americanized French accents. Oh,
1: God. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, France. Sorry, all of France, but not really. Yeah.
0: Not really. France has been, you know, been pretty terrible. Yeah. (laughs) They've done some terrible things, too. Jill. What are, been we, colonizing. what are we talking about today? <laughs> because again, I just don't want to fucking be here. We're just going to go outside the US. <laughs> Fair. Take a fucking trip to France.
1: Yes. We're talking
0: Frenchy crimes. Yes. Like I said, Bonjour. prepare yourself for terrible mispronunciations, horrible accents, going wee oui, wee oui, too much.
1: Wee wee. Wee wee. Ha ha. Ha ha.
0: Twirling of mustaches. Baguette. <laughs> yeah. <right>. <laughs> Croissant. Croissant. <laughs> <laughs> it's mechron. <laughs> my name is French unfortunately
1: pizza uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait that's telly <laughs> yeah Vicky have you had real French wine before Pro- I'm gonna say probably not you know I that whole like not. it's
0: not champagne unless it comes from the champagne region oh yeah of no I definitely like kind of don't
1: spend over like 20 bucks on wine and that's, that's when fun. I'm getting real fancy yeah yeah so I used to have a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> didn't we all
0: <laughs> when I didn't own a home yeah um and uh, I've tried like real French wines before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs>
1: it's wine. Honestly,
0: I like Italian wine better. Yeah, I pr- I prefer a prosecco to a champagne. Crucify me!
1: I know. Yeah, <laughs> Perse- I mean prosecco's good. Prosecco's, prosecco's great. fucking good.
0: But. I'm not like a huge wine drinker, you know, I don't, I don't like it dry. Mm, uh, lots, yes. you know, lots of French wine is very dry. Yeah. I'm not a big fan. Not big into uh, red. I don't, I don't like the tannins. I don't like hard tannins. I don't know what
1: that means. <laughs>
0: That's what makes it like better and dry is there's more tannins in What's it. What's a tannin? It's, it's a element within the wine that happens after it's been fermented.
1: Oh. So. It's yeah. not like an ingredient. It's no, just like it's just the a, name of the yes, It's a natural flavor. Process.
0: Yes. <laughs> gotcha,
1: gotcha, gotcha, We're going to butcher this.
0: So yeah, if you're a wine drinker, turn this off immediately. Yeah. This will be fun. <laughs> If you know the fancy terms, you don't want, you don't want to hear this. Yeah. So we're going to deep dive into a scandal that's befallen one of France's most popular wine producers out of Burgundy.
1: Okay. So if you're familiar with Burgundy I wine. I am, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: It is the Domaine de la Romanée Conti. Or the DRC. Nice. <laughs> That's pretty good. You're welcome. <laughs> now, we're going to get a little history on the vineyard so you can understand why this is confusing. Okay. Vineyards are like monopolies of land in yeah. France. Yes. Is <laughs> that the way I can put it? Um, the vineyard was part of an abbey in 1232 run by monks. But, of course, as was the thing back then, it eventually got sold out. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar Monks are the reason we have wine. Yes. <laughs> yes. In
1: 1631,
0: it was bought by the de Cronenberg family, who renamed it Romane. Um, by the 1700s, the Cronenberg family decided to sell, and a bidding war between Madame de Pompadour, mistress of Louis the Ninth? <laughs> Is that th- Roman numerals. One of the fancy <laughs> French ones. Uh, 14th. Hey, <laughs> uh, France. And. Louis-François, Prince of Conti. Okay. As you can imagine by the name it is called now, Louis-François won, and the name was changed to Romanet conti Okay. So his ownership was very short-lived. That's because all of the richies' land started to being seized during the Revolution. <laughs> Hell of a time to buy a vineyard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the vineyard would flux and shift for decades as land was leased, sold, and then sold back. Domaine de la Romanée-Conti remains the largest vineyard in Burgundy's region today, okay. producing one of the rarest wines, which is its flagship Burgundy.
1: Wow.
0: It was described by a wine critic Clive Coates as the following: Quote, "The scarcest, most expensive and frequently the best wine in the world. If you if you more Oh, my God. What? If you can lay your hands on a case, and that is a big if, you would have to pay €5,000 or more for a young vintage, double or triple for a wine in its prime. This is the purest, most ericrystatic, and most expensive, intense example of Pinot Noir you could possibly imagine. Not only nectar... A yardstick with which to judge all other burgundies.
1: Oh, my God. Barf. (laughs) So pretentious. Oh, my God.
0: This is why I don't drink wine. Because of people like that. I'm just like, I'm not even going to drink it.
1: Give me a Moscato.
0: Yeah. I, like, did a – I was a bar back for the museum I worked at for a minute when we did, like, an event. Mm -hmm. And – I could not get this, like, stupid old wine screw cork thing to undo. And I was like, this is fucking stupid. And the woman's like, you must not drink wine that much. I was like, no, I find it very pretentious. And then she, like, just went. Blank as a sheet, of yeah, <laughs> and just walked away. I was like,
1: mm-hmm, Yeah, yeah,
0: bye. It has nothing to do with the rusty fucking corkscrew you gave me
1: to work with, yeah, right? Okay, <laughs> but also the exact type of person mm, that would be at exactly. like an art gallery yes. <laughs> drinking fancy ass wine. Wine's pretentious, yeah.
0: So the vineyard produces roughly 500 cases annually, which really amplifies its rarity. DRC's Romanée Conti 2005 was released in 2008 for $3,650 to $4,300 4, a bottle, depending wow. on where you were. Uh, at retail, it now ranges between $8,000 to $16,000. Um, just last weekend, actually, Christie sold six bottles of Romanée Conti at an auction in New York for a record high of $26,000 per bottle. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> So, you know, some wine fans, um, I would say fans, not connoisseurs, because they uh, are insane, actually have jumped the vineyard walls to get cuttings of the vines so that they could try to produce their own wine. Oh, my God. Um, Which is why that whole, like, it's not champagne unless it comes from the champagne region is a thing. Yeah. Because people will cut things from vineyards or take seeds and grow them in other places and produce wines from these vines and say that they're the same thing, but they're not. Yeah. But they are.
1: <laughs>
0: but they are. So you could see how something so rare and so sought after could become a crime.
1: <laughs> right? Wine, yeah. So we're
0: going to talk a little white collar crime and a little bit of sabotage. Okay. And we're going to look here at for not one but two scandals that have rocked this little old winery. Okay. So we're going to go back to 2010, only 12 short years ago. California Girls by Katy Perry was just coming out on the radio. And uh, that was the first iPad
1: year. Okay. So do you feel old? What was it 2001?
0: 2010. 10. <laughs> the first iPad. Uh, huh?
1: <laughs> God, that seems
0: like, it's, it seems like it's been
1: girls. so long ago. Right? I guess I, I, guess I do feel kind of old. I felt very old when I read that so yeah. it the
0: year the first iPad came out. I was like, ew. So France was doing its thing. And the region has not really much changed in the past mm-hmm. 20 years about wine. So they're all still very – Burgundy is all about wine producing. Not much has touched it. The iPad, no one cares about that in Burgundy. They're all about their wine. iPads
1: don't make wine. Exactly.
0: <laughs> now, Aubert de Villanay is the co-owner of the Domaine de la Romaine Conti Vineyard in Burgundy. And during this time, he received a very ominous letter to his home address. Upon opening it, he immediately realized it was a ransom note of sorts. The letter demanded one million euros or all the vines of the Romainé-Conti vineyard will be poisoned.
1: Oh. <gasps>
0: Scandal.
1: <laughs> okay. That the is kind of scandalous. Uh, yes.
0: The letter also mentioned that two of the coveted vines had already been poisoned. <gasps> Aubert didn't take the letter very seriously, but then a second one arrived not too long after with the same message. Um, And he decided this couldn't be a joke, right? One letter, maybe two letters? I don't think so. I mean... Do the French even joke about wine like this?
1: Uh, no. Oh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the second letter arrived, and in the second letter, the writer provided detailed knowledge and maps of the Grand Cru Romane-Conte vineyard. The DRC Monopole, which if you're not familiar, is the area that the vineyard controls in the region. So not just where the vines are, but the entirety of the land that they own. Yeah. Some of that land does not have vines on it. Yeah. So they're like, I know the exact region of where your vineyard is. And they also threatened, again, to pour poison all over the roots. They mentioned in this letter again, that they had already poisoned two vines, you idiot. And they're like, this is how serious we are. So he's like, okay. And then the second part to the letter, after he unwrapped the letter, there was another piece of paper in there. And inside that was a map. And the map had X's on two locations where the vines they had poisoned were. Okay. Now – The second letter was also really interesting because the writer clearly had some sort of understanding or knowledge of winemaking because they used sophisticated terms like déco de l'envenage, which means stripping or filtering, and démontage, which means removing the sediment. Okay. So they used these like words within this letter, and it kind of tipped the reader off like, okay – they have a very detailed understanding. That's something that a producer would know, not necessarily the layman. Yeah. The owner of the vineyard immediately contacted the police this time, but they wanted to keep okay. things hush-hush because if it got out that they were being blackmailed, then this would give other wine producers kind of like an opportunity to take over and be like, well, do you want possibly poisoned burgundy wine? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So upon arriving at the vineyard, they removed some vines – to test them, which was in the locations that the axes were, just to see if they were actually tested. And upon testing, it was determined that they had been treated with chemicals. Okay. Um, they noticed that the other vines around the two poison, vine, two poison vines also had holes drilled into them. Um, but there was no detection of chemicals. Now, this is a, a common technique used to kill trees. Yeah. used To drill holes into them and yeah. let nature do its thing. So the back, the blackmailer had used a syringe to inject poison into the roots of the two vines that were poisoned. This was an especially significant detail because over the centuries, vineyards, which are the people who take care of the vines, um, have used this syringe technique to inject liquid carbon disulfide into the soil to kind of save vineyards from um, infestations by phylloxera insects. Okay. So obviously it's someone who has worked at a vineyard. Yeah. And knew exactly where to inject stuff. Yeah. Safely to inject chemicals. Safely, yeah, safely <laughs> to poison. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're like, oh, this is where we inject it safely to get stuff up the roots. So obviously poison would work here too. Huh. So their very methodology had been used to preserve these wi- these vines Now they're employing it to kill, so they're like, it has to be someone in the wine industry. They decided to set the blackmailers kind of off and agreed to the blackmail exchange. Okay. So they had DeVillanet right back, setting up a ransom drop in a cemetery nearby on the night of February 22nd. Within three days, they had a reply from the note, and the tone of the note was extremely different. Almost overly polite, super grateful, said thanks a whole bunch, like very strange. As they waited, they told the owner to go about his business as normal and not to raise any suspicion. Um, so he went off on his trips, came back, was doing his regular business hours. Yeah. The police then hatched their plan. There would be about a dozen armed police officers hidden about the cemetery. There was a bag full of fake gyros inside there. There was a tracking device that would be activated when the bag passed sensors that were embedded into the ground at the cemetery gates. Okay. So once they knew the bag moved, they were on it. No more than 30 minutes after the drop time, the police announced over the radios that they had nabbed the man. Wow. The man's name was Jacques Solti, and he was in his late 50s, along with his son Cedric. Um, I think he was in his early 20s. They didn't really state his age. The DRC had not, like, really understood who this person was or how he was connected. Yeah. Um. So he had not only marked the DRC for destruction, but he had also simultaneously orchestrated a similar plot against another highly regarded vineyard
1: what? in the area. Okay.
0: So he also targeted... Domaine Comte Georges de Vosges, um, which was in a, a separate area of Burgundy, but similar wine producer. Police discovered this because the first package mailed to Devenelinet had a Paris postmark. And so they went to the post office and looked at the footage from surveillance cameras, and it revealed that he had shipped a, another package at the same time that oh. looked exactly the same.
1: Okay. So he was, like, simultaneously Mm -hmm. running on mm -hmm. some, okay. So
0: they contacted the owners of the other vineyard, and the vineyard, too, said that they had lost two of their vines to poison. Oh, shit. So when Sulti had been, like, taken in, they kind of asked him, like, okay, so what's your connection to this? Why are you interested in this? So he went on and told his entire fucking life story. Okay. So when Solti was about twelve or thirteen years old, his parents sent him to the Lyce Victor de Buon, which is a boarding school that specializes in winemaking. Okay.
1: Of course. Of course, friends would have, such. like a boarding school that's like, but also winemaking. Yes. Wow. Uh, which is also
0: a thing like for culinary school, like they yeah. would send chefs to boarding schools like that too. Yeah.
1: But that's I mean, when you're talking like kids, it's yeah. like it's well, it's trade, you know, yeah, learning true. the trade. That's true. That's true.
0: Now, according to the principal of the school, they said that they had a file on him. And within that file, it was a lot of, like, infractions. His grades were terrible. His parents, too, were winemakers. They oversaw a really small vineyard. And they, you know, they he was very troubled from the start. So they sent him to boarding school. And while he was there, he was also very troubled. It would only be a couple months before he got expelled for the first time.
1: Oh, <laughs> He'd come back.
0: But... um. You know, he kept getting sent away. His offenses were things like smoking, cursing, staying up all night, but also like destruction of property, like just being an overall
1: asshole. I was hoping that it'd be something crazy like peeing in the wine bottles. I mean,
0: I wish, <laughs> but no. Um, he also, after being finally taken out of the school officially, he committed a string of armed robberies after this and even attempted a kidnapping.
1: Whoa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: During one of the crimes that he committed, shots were exchanged with the police and he actually end up, ended up being hit in the chest with one of the bullets. Um, he was fine and he did get sentenced to 20 years in prison. Of course. He'd only serve a portion of the time and he would be in and out of jail for a vast majority of his adult life. Wow. So he decided to switch his business to extortion instead of robbery. Okay. <laughs> um, because it's a little bit safer. Definitely, Um, definitely. Less chance of getting shot. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Um, And also using his knowledge of wine to kind of psych these wine people out.
1: Interesting.
0: So he set up a shack in the woods overlooking the vineyard area in Burgundy. Um, He lived there with his camping kitchen and poison laboratory. Oh, my God. Yeah, police located the shack and found in it syringes um, and Roundup. Oh. So he was using the chemical Roundup to kill yes. the vineyards. Um, slowly, word of the crime leaked into the French press. The DCR was concerned about copycat criminals. Um, so the trial was kind of, they were apprehensive to take it to trial. Mm-hmm. They never would get to trial because in July of 2010, Jacques Solti was found dead in his cell. Oh. He had twisted his clothing up into a rope and hung himself. Oh, boy. His son Cedric would go to trial, um, on, you know, very quietly on the down low, and the judge gave him time served for being an accomplice. So he only served eight months in prison. So they just kind of like, yeah, done. yeah. But sadly, this would not be the last of the problems for the Dominey Conti. Uh, next would come wine theft and a little bit of fraud. Oh boy! Now we're going to go back to the early two thousands to kind of set you up with this this particular part of the story. This is when a wine boom was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, California wines were taking the fuck off. Like, yeah. there was a run for the money for wine. This was also a tech boom. Silicon Valley was, like, growing. So all of these men with all of this money were like, what do we need? Rare vintage wines. <laughs> of
1: course. Of
0: course. <laughs> so rare vintage wines were going up for auction and being sold through establishments like Christie's Auction House and Sotheby's. And a man named Rudy Kurnawan began to be coming like this sort of like Los Angeles scene wine selling douche canoe mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just like typical right yeah. typical California guy in one auction at Acker Maryland and Condit in 2006 Conawan sold 24.7 million dollars of wine he beat, he beat he beat the previous record, which was $10 million. Uh, he then began to focus on rare French wines like the DRC, and he even became known as Dr. Conti because mm. he was, like, so in it. Oh, God. It wasn't until 2010 or 2012 when things started to take a turn. A collector of wine named Bill Coke and, yes... Bill Coke is a Coke brother, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, started to take note on some discrepancies. He found fake bottles of wine in his collection and decided to hire a private investigator. Now, in an interview later for a documentary called Sour Grapes, Coke stated he hated to be cheated, (laughs) which is really rich considering who the fuck his family is. Um, Now, rich people buy wine from auctions and dealers all of the time. They're not normally the ones doing it. They're hiring someone who knows, supposedly, knows what the fuck they're doing to buy yeah. these things for them. Yeah. Um, but it's not that uncommon to find fake bottles of wine in their cellar. They act very shocked. But it's like, when you got money to throw away, who the fuck cares? Yeah. You know, the shocker, though, is that they're buying them mostly from auction houses. Yeah. That are supposed to have done their research. So places like Christie's and Sotheby's, they should have provenances. Right. For all of the things that they have. Yeah. But apparently, faking provenances for wine isn't hard. (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) Obviously, the people who are like the independent dealers, you would expect that more because they're making direct, quick cash from this. Yeah. Um, But a lot of these people are buying from auction houses and getting swindled.
1: Yeah. And they aren't – I mean, there is definitely – A way to check with the producer to be like, "Hey, did you produce this?" Oh, just wait. This (laughs) wine. yeah. This is one of my. I love this. This wine fraud. So, an example of
0: this is a bottle of Claude de Saint Saint Denis from Domaine Poussant was producing wine between 1945 and 1971. The head of the house found. It very interesting that he was seeing things in the paper that stated that there was a wine vintage in 1982,
1: mm-hmm. which is like,
0: we stopped producing that particular wine in 1971, you fucking morons. So he saw that, and he also hired a private investigator to investigate these fucking fake wines. Yeah. So you have Bill Coke, rich old white guy. Laurent Poisson, rich old white guy. Hiring private investigators because they got swindled out of a few million, which is like pennies to them. Which
1: also says (laughs) something about the guy who's doing the swindling, right? Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't take five minutes to go on Google on your brand new iPad. Right. (laughs) And search like so-and-so 1982 vintage.
0: Yeah. Duh.
1: It just seems so obvious to me.
0: Yes. Like that one was so dumb. I can understand. The other thing that happened was people were finding, so sometimes they number bottles. Mm-hmm. So people were finding that there was a wine that was produced in the correct years, but it was a number bottle that was not in the number range that they had bottles for. Yeah. So like they produced like 500 bottles of wine. It was like a 700 number. Yeah. And it's like, mm, we didn't produce that many bottles of this wine that year. So,
1: yeah. Wrong. yeah. <laughs> Jeez, Google people.
0: <laughs> That's harder to, to figure out. Like true, Sometimes true. they don't tell you the exact number of bottles that were released. Sure. And for this reason. Sometimes they're like samples Mm -hmm. that are not numbered. Those are the rarest. Those are like the first polls. Yeah. Um, But those aren't sold to the public generally Mm -hmm. because it's the first poll just to test it. Right. (laughs) So... Authentication experts determined that there were lots of dodgy consignment and provenance paperwork within all of these fakes that they were uh, investigating. And it was enough to get the FBI involved as the money from this added into the millions, closing in on the billions. Mm. So once you're fucking around with this much money, you got to call the FBI in.
1: Rich people shit, I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) In March of 2012, they set up a sting operation and their eyes were on Rudy Kurwan, who had sold... The Largest bit of wine that we just saw. Um, he was making a huge name for himself. So, like, we're going to look into this guy because that's a little bit suspect. Yeah. Um, they raided his home in California and found the mother load. They found a fully equipped counterfeiting workshop complete with corking tools, labels, empty bottles, and extensive tasting notes. Kirwan had been taking cheaper wines and putting them into more expensive bottles and also altering bottles to appear more valuable. So like changing the numbering on them or taking a vintage that was actually produced in 2005 and saying it was like a 2003 because that would make it older. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of filtering and altering and doing all these weird things. Kirawan was the only person in the US history to be tried and convicted for wine fraud.
1: Yeah, buddy.
0: After a short trial, um, which lasted between December 9th to the 13th, he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. His arrest led to another wine fraud ring being broken up in Europe, which led to a which was led by a father and son duo out of Italy who were committing wine fraud across Europe during the very same time period. When Kirawan was caught, this made the DCR vineyard very suspicious. So they went to the authorities and tipped him off and said that they believed that more fraud was being committed than just that one man, which is how that additional ring of people got caught. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. And
0: they recovered at least 400 bottles of DCR wine and found connections to the ring in 20 other countries.
1: Yeah, that's wild.
0: According to the Sour Grapes documentary, as many as 10,000 fake bottles of DCR wine are estimated to be in private collections to this day. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about wine fraud... And the DCRs fraud in general. I would highly recommend watching the documentary. Star Grapes. great. It's super good. Yeah, it's I think it's still good. on Netflix. It is. Yeah. 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 So that is just some. I mean, there was another. There was another ring f- recently that came out with not just their bottles of wine, but like a
1: bunch of French wine. Yeah, I
0: didn't include that because it's a, literally a whole another story. Yeah, there's so much wine fraud. <laughs>
1: that is like that, and that one um, about good old Rudy is mm-hmm. like. One of my favorite wine crime type things because yeah. – or like food crime or like the sort of like crime of the aristocrats, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this really bougie shit. A burgundy
0: collar crime. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Very <Fairness>. nice. Thank you. <laughs> um, Because it is so weird and the guy kind of just shows up out of nowhere. Like really, mm-hmm. he showed up on the scene out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And just started making these connections, like very Anna Delvey like, except mm-hmm. less of a bitch. <laughs> like, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, true, true. But you know, that same kind of like pretension and like, oh, yeah. Just like inserting it's himself so into the scene. It's so not hard to swindle rich people. Oh, We've seen God, it I time it. and time
0: and time again. They're so they gullible and lonely and stupid. And they don't want to <laughs> admit that they're wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then when they are wrong, they're like, fuck me. I want my money back, you know? Like, full on Karen. <laughs>
1: True. Oh my god. Okay, so I I don't think that we've ever done like specifically a French episode or like a I don't think like so. a France mm-hmm. episode. But my th- first thought was like it's France. There's probably a lot of weird shit that happens out there like crime wise hmm. and they do I definitely <laughs> saw like a couple stories especially old-timey stories of like cannibals that were assumed to be werewolves in like the 1500s oh yes we definitely touched on something like that when yeah we the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I was like "Ooh, that might be kind of good you know like you do in the old old mm-hmm. European times but I came across this gem it's French It's art. It's it's crime. It's French. (laughs) I wanted to talk about the guy who has been dubbed the most prolific and consistent art thief ever. Yes. Stefan Breitweiser. Wait, wait. Breitweiser. I'm going to say it regular, though. (laughs) I can't do that for a whole episode. It's fine. Breitweiser was born in 1971 in northeastern France. His mother was a nurse. His father was a sales exec in Switzerland. And his upbringing is definitely described as being, like, kind of bougie. Yeah, his dad's working in Switzerland. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, like, crime capital of the world. It's, like, (laughs) where he's at is right on the border between France and Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So... This is from, let's see. Oh, there's this great article in GQ. So, this is from that article in GQ. Quote The family, for most of his youth, was well off, living in a grand house filled with elegant furniture, Louis XV armchairs from the 1700s, empire dressers from the 1800s. End quote. not
0: empire like our empire
1: empire Empire. (laughs) um all the midwesties know what we're talking about (laughs) he had gone to university to study law but dropped out after a few years when he was 22 Breitweiser's parents marriage just like imploded it ended horribly and um as GQ put it He and his mother tumbled down the social ladder. His father kind of took everything, like, all of the nice shit, and they were, like, left with just, like, nothing. Pennies. It was around that time that Breitweiser met Anne Catherine Kleinklaus, who shared his love of museums, and the two quickly became a pair. It wasn't long before she moved in with Breitweiser and his mother. Now the couple decided to visit a museum in the French village of Tan where Breitweiser sort of first had the urge to steal something.
0: My first urge to steal was penny candy out of like the
1: Brock's candy display. So like,
0: yeah, you know, <laughs> I was like, I want that Werther's. I'm going to take it.
1: <laughs> they stumbled upon an antique pistol Hand-carved from around 1730. How cliche. Um, It reminded him of some of the weapons that his dad actually had, like these old antique weapons. Of course he'd collect weapons. (laughs) But far nicer than anything his dad had. Right. And he wanted to take it. The... Museum had little security and the display case had been left partially open. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> so, so Brightweiser decided to take it, which opened the world to hundreds of thefts to come. Oh my God. And a lot of this, like early day stuff, is according to Brightweiser himself. Mm-hmm. So, it could be totally fabricated. Yes. A lot of this has been backed up, but like some of the things are like, Meh. so later in March 1995, Brightweiser and Klein Klaus. Visited the medieval castle castle at Gruyères, Switzerland.
0: Mm. Yes, like the cheese. Excellent cheese. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there, twenty-two-year-old Breitweiser stumbled upon a painting by Christian Wilhelm Dietrich, and eighteenth uh, an eighteenth-century German artist. It wasn't really like a famous piece. Mm-hmm. It was only worth about fifteen hundred pounds. I mean, it wasn't like something crazy. But Breitweiser was taken with the piece, later saying, um, this is from The Guardian, quote, I was fascinated by her beauty, by the qualities of the woman in the portrait, and by her eyes. I thought it was an imitation of Rembrandt. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. You see, Breitweiser was not interested in, like, the wealth that he could accrue. By stealing all of this stuff, mm-hmm. instead, he lifted the pieces that spoke to him, that he, like, saw beauty in. Of course, um, that's the most fucking French thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? <laughs> because he wanted to add them to his personal collection. Oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, of course, it's, like, this dude, Brightweiser, who was literally working as a waiter in Switzerland. Like, in his regular life, he was, like, a garçon,
0: <laughs> right in Switzerland. Nice. Thank you.
1: He just decided to embark on this still ongoing <laughs> career of stealing art and rare antiques for his personal collection, yeah. which he held in secret at his mother's flat. <laughs> oh like they talk about him not having enough room for this stuff and it was just piles and piles and piles of that's not that's when you have a problem no it's not a collection it's a hoarding situation i don't have a i don't have a problem i have the most expensive collection in all of france right <laughs> you just know where to put it <laughs> Uh, so following the theft of the antique gun, Breitweiser visited the Museum of Musical Instruments in Basel, Switzerland, where he stole a 17th century violin, followed by taking a painting called Two Men by Antoine Watteau from the Museum of Montpellier in South France. South France. <laughs> Selfless, accent. <laughs> um so this continues on and on and on and we'll go, I'll go a little bit more into depth about like what he had later but mm-hmm. this goes on and on and on until one day in November 2001 when Breitweiser climbed a radiator at the Richard Wagner Lucerne, uh Richard Wagner Museum in Lucerne Switzerland to steal a bugle from the 1580s of all the instruments, a fucking bugle, <laughs> and it's more. I I'm sure it's more of like a horn, like a mm-hmm. like French horn style. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, because from the 1780s, it's like yeah. you know. Upon returning home, his uh, girlfriend Klein Klaus was not happy. Mainly because they had already been caught in Switzerland one time, um, and they were allowed to leave on a suspended eight-month sentence in Switzerland, but they were essentially banned from coming back into the country. So she was like, yo, we cannot steal from Switzerland anymore. Yeah. He's like, cool, but I'm going to go into Switzerland and steal this bugle.
0: <laughs> and it then never just
1: listens." came home with it. So... They decided to go back to the museum thinking that he had left a bunch of fingerprints behind. She went with him (laughs) to um, erase the, like, with, like, rubbing alcohol and, like, a cloth to erase the fingerprints off of this display. So (laughs) she goes in, leaves him in a car, in the car, which he then gets out and is, like, walking the grounds. They should not. It was a total mistake to go back.
0: Oh, yeah. 100%. (laughs) Beep. You're already you're already a different fucking place. Like no, yes, no, don't go back. Don't ever go back. No,
1: no. And they did hit not a lot for of
0: crimes or horror movies. Don't ever go back.
1: <laughs> a lot of these museums they hit multiple times, not like one right after another, but mm-hmm. like after a one and of time. done. Always, yeah. don't
0: yeah. ever go back. There's only so crime. many museums
1: in Europe, though. <laughs> There's actually a lot of I know. Museums in I know. Like we're all the museums for art. Are. <laughs> um. So they go back. He's walking the grounds. Turns out someone at the museum recognized Brightweather and called the police. Whoa. Shocker.
0: We do So, like, when I worked in a museum, we did have, like, a, a photo, mm-hmm. like, list of people that were not allowed back in there. But It was, like, in a binder. And you'd have to, like, look through it yeah to see who the person was um hold on let me check i imagine no you're not in in like a smaller museum yeah but like in a large museum they probably have like a computer system or something
1: so that's the thing Mm -hmm. um he was walking the grounds there was a um like a regular patron at the museum who was walking their dog saw this guy kind of acting suspiciously i believe i saw someone somewhere mention that he was wearing like a trench coat that was kind of, like, weird. So How to he, tell that you're a criminal. Trench coat. Trench coat. <laughs> Especially, like, trench coat in the summer. Yeah. Weird, guys. Mm-hmm. So he went and told the cashier who checked out this guy and was like, Hey, that dude looks like one of the three people that came to the museum yesterday. So there was only three people that had been there the day before when the bugle had been stolen. I'm going to call the police. So they called the the police. Klein Klaus, like she had gone in to to deal with the fingerprints and she was able to leave without incident because the two of them were not together. So nobody realized that like, oh, this is an accomplice or this is like, they came here together. She just like drove off. (laughs) She's just like, peace, drove (laughs) off so that she could go tell his mother what was going on. So initially, Breitweiser opted to tell authorities that he had come to Switzerland alone looking for a gift for his mother for Christmas. And while he had a stolen bugle, (laughs) he had taken the bugle. He just didn't know how valuable it was. It's a museum. (laughs) Yeah, but it was just like sitting on the shelf. I didn't think anybody gave a shit because it's like nobody's looked at it. It looks a little dusty. (laughs) Classic. But by the time they were, like, t- doing these interviews, um, his past criminal record in Switzerland had already been pulled up because um, his fingerprints were on file. Yeah, and, from all the crimes. Yeah, yeah, and they originally were just like, okay, it's just like the small-time guy. They definitely started taking him a little more serious because, you know, one is, like, small-time. Two, even even just two is, like... This is a little more. Mm-hmm. So Swiss investigators managed to get an international search warrant for his home in France, but it mm-hmm. took about four weeks to attain. Like, it just takes a lot longer. So this whole time, Breitweiser is sitting in a Swiss prison with no clue what is what is going on until he gets called into an interrogation room and gets presented with this photo of a commemorative medal that he had stolen from a different Swiss museum. Mm-hmm. Then they pull out all of these pictures. It's like a stack of pictures of all of the stuff that he's stolen. He kind of realizes the jig is up, mm-hmm. confesses to everything. Brightweiser is like one of these people that has an incredibly good memory and was able to tell tell them everything he had, every single thing he had stolen, where when it was stolen, where he stole it from, and where it's located at the house. And authorities found that in total... Brightweiser had stolen 60 paintings and 112 assorted rare objects worth between an estimated 1.4 and 1.9 billion pounds. Oh my god. That's a lot of shit. It's a lot. That's a, I that's a lot. That. You don't even have walls to hang that. And I saw somewhere he was averaging stealing something once every 15 days. Oh my god. Yeah. Like just the That's volume not,
0: that is a problem. You're a klepto. <laughs> yes.
1: <he> does, yes. <laughs> so most of these works came from either France or Switzerland, but his stolen collection contained pieces from museums in the Netherlands, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, and Austria. Huge.
0: He's just missing Spain and Italy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Here's where things get a little heartbreaking okay. for the art lovers out there.
0: Oh no! Did he cut him out of the things?
1: No. Before this, <laughs> before the search warrant was executed, and Brightweiser confessed, his mother had gotten wind, likely from Klein Klaus, that he had been arrested. Her reaction. Was to chop up the oil paintings, which the old ones were done on wood rather mm-hmm. than on like canvas, yeah. um, shred some of the others, throw all of the other art objects into the Rhone Canal. These included cheap profiting from his master by Peter Bruegel, the younger that was cut up with scissors. Oh, my God. Sleeping Shepherd by Francois Boucher, destroyed by garbage disposal. Madeline of France, Queen of Scotland by Cornel de Lyon, also destroyed by garbage disposal. And The Monkey's Ball by David Teniers, shredded by scissors. God. I know. And it's interesting because in some of these articles, they did some interviews with Weiser and he had some reactions to um, the thefts of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Mm-mm. And he could not believe that these motherfuckers cut pieces out of the frames. He was like, "I would never do that." The second How you, you get roll them
0: out of there, then? He,
1: so he picked p- them up. <laughs> He primarily stole small pieces. Mm-hmm. Almost everything he stole, he could but fit still, in a jacket.
0: Yeah, still in a frame. Those are pretty large.
1: Yeah. He he was very, like, respectful and reverent mm-hmm. of the art that he was stealing. So when he found yeah. out that his mother had destroyed all of this art, he was like, what the fuck, ma? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, Yeah. So some of the artifacts thrown into the canal were found by people who were just, like, passing by, who did notify police. That's good. Um, they eventually had to drain part of the canal to recover as much as they could. Oh and God. they recovered because, like, the, the actual objects, like the statues and bugles and shit, mm-hmm. she just chucked into the river. Yeah. So they were able to, like, dredge all that stuff up and save most of it. And Mrs. Breitweiser did say... Um, she initially destroyed the artwork – she initially says that she destroyed the artwork out of anger, but authorities are like, we're pretty sure you did it to cover up the fact that your son had all this artwork yeah. at the house. What'd she do with the frames? I don't know. She probably chopped them up. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she got arrested That'd also. Be funny if she kept the frames. Yeah. She's gonna take They're nice out. frames. I well, and really some of the stuff them. he had taken to, like, a local framer to get reframed, and the framer just, like, never asked any questions – Oh my he God. just, like, never looked close <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, so she gets like, arrested. Some
0: of those are hundreds of years old. How could you not? You're like, oh, how did you get a hold of this fucking
1: 300-year-old painting? Yeah. <laughs> not not my concern. Not my business. <laughs> Brightweiser's girlfriend, Klein Klaus, was also eventually arrested and charged with receiving stolen items. So... Breitweiser spent two years in a Swiss prison before being extradited back out to France to stand trial. He was still in love with Klein Klaus at the time, was like writing her from jail, but she had moved on. Yeah, obviously. Started a relationship with another man and eventually the two of them had a child. (laughs) And um, so he... Yeah, that was, that was over after going to trial in both France and Switzerland, Breitweiser received about four years in prison on the day before his sentencing, he attempted to commit suicide by hanging, but another inmate found out and told the guards and he was stopped. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After serving 26 months, Brightweiser was released. His mother was also found guilty for her role in destroying the artwork. She received a three year sentence with an 18 month uh, suspension, and she served six months before being released.
0: At that point, you should just find her for the like, yeah, right. worth of the fucking paintings. Well, that was
1: the, the interesting <laughs> thing in all of the sentencing. Like, his sentencing was not enhanced by the worth of the artwork. They mm-hmm. viewed the theft of the artwork the same way they would with, like, a regular burglary. It didn't mm-hmm. matter the fact that it was, like, worth millions.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure here we have, like, if it's a, under a certain amount. It's
1: yeah, like it gets enhanced kind of, based yeah. on the amount mm-hmm. um, all the way up to, like, you know. And plus, if you have, like, weapons, that's another enhancement. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Klein Klaus also received six months in prison um, with a 12-month suspended sentence, and she served her six months and was released. Uh, while he was in prison, Breitweiser authored a biography called Confessions du de d'Art, or Confessions of an Art Thief, that was published in 2006. A, so he was still in prison when this book got published. Classic. A German translation of the book was released a year later. Brightweiser served 26 months of his sentence before um being released and you think like this whole experience would turn him off stealing art and artifacts but he went right back to it. He
0: got he had a problem. Obviously if he's, he stole 180 some pieces yeah.
1: and he was declined of their beauty in prison, don't you know? Like and because it's mom chopped yeah, it up. Yeah, also that. Like it was
0: fucking porn magazine <laughs> she found it under the bed. Also that.
1: <laughs> um, this filth. <laughs> yeah, she literally chopped it up and, like, got rid of it over the course of days in bin bags. Yeah. In April 2011, police conducted a search of his house, finding another stolen 30, uh, 30 stolen artworks. 30? 30. A busy boy. 30, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was once again arrested and charged with theft, resulting in another three year prison sentence in 2013.
0: She been like, no, 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 no. I stole those last time, so it doesn't count. Yeah, double jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: This wouldn't be the end for him. Oh, no. <laughs> because police obviously placed him under surveillance yeah, in 2016. He can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. Um, so he was under surveillance in 2016 when they had spotted a 19th century paperweight he was attempting to sell on eBay. Idiot. They recognized this.
0: Backpage is still a thing? You should want a Backpage.
1: Oh, my God. True.
0: Backpage is France. Yep. 2016? Yeah. They, they stopped. When was that? They stopped doing it. It was right around recently. that time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the, um, that was in the US.
1: I don't know if yes, that goes yeah. for across the world. <laughs> Bad, at, back page is France, yes,
0: <laughs> or at least like the you know the dark net.
1: Go to the, Moulin the dark Rouge. web. No, <laughs> um, so they authorities recognize this as one of the items stolen from the Crystalware Museum in St. Louis, as in what? <laughs> as in St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri. <laughs> like yeah, um, authorities once again searched his home in his native Alsace region. Where they found not only the paperweight, <laughs> classic, but also Roman coins from an archaeological museum and other pieces from other galleries. They also Can't discovered 163,000 uh, euros in cash being kept in a bucket at his mother's house. Which I'm like... I'm sorry, what? Which I'm like, mom, what are you doing? You mm-hmm. can't tell me that you don't know this bucket is there and full of money. Mom, don't open the bucket. Don't open the bucket. There's just poop in there. Don't
0: open it. No, it's... I just... Some mothers and their sons, I you guess know? They have a very unique relationship.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So in February 2019... He was arrested yet again. I couldn't er find the result of that trial. Um, I can only assume it wasn't or won't be good. It's possible it hasn't happened yet because that's like mid COVID years and like a lot of shit got delayed. Yeah,
0: so (laughs) we don't care about the justice system right now. He's
1: pandemic. (laughs) He's still out there, like. Stefan Brightwiser, coins and objects, and paintings, and, and bugles, bugles. <laughs> and papers guns, for the bugles. Oh yeah, yeah. There's this great. I think a paperweight, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a fancy paperweight. <laughs> I think the article. Um, Paperweights from, are just
0: failed sculptures. Doesn't everybody know that?
1: <laughs> Aw, but they hold my papers down. <laughs>
0: Um, how fucking breezy is it inside? Very, honestly? very. <laughs>
1: um, the article by GQ, I th- I think it's someone by GQ, is really, really great because it has this, these very vivid depictions of him going in and stealing and how he did it super carefully. Mm. They talk about this one in the very beginning where he's like watching the guards and seeing the patrons and you go to a museum that isn't super like doesn't have a lot of foot traffic and like take a you take a swiss army knife so you can pop the screws out of it like very interesting but like i don't know man yeah <laughs> you just it re- kind of reminds me of the egg guy the guy who's oh, yeah. like trafficking mm-hmm. eggs yeah, yeah and he's just like no i'm still good now i'm gonna keep going can not stealing fine. eggs <laughs> it's not going to stop <laughs> yeah so before That's you, know you have a problem before you go to france and
0: smuggled a cheese? I don't
1: know. <laughs> uh, check out this podcast. I
0: actually think you're allowed to take back some a certain amount of food I think and you wine. Can, but how you would have to you declare it?
1: Oh, wine, yes. Food like cheese. There is cheese that doesn't have to be refrigerated. Ugh, I don't want any part of that. Yeah, <laughs> I want cold cheese.
0: Hi, I'm Lainey, host of the new podcast. We're all just pretending. It's a podcast that has elements of Dear Abby with a twist of post secret. Every episode. I'll read listener questions and provide advice and insight as a friend. My own pod friends will even join in and offer their advice on parenting, relationships, and even give you really bad advice on purpose. Since we all have secrets to share, there'll also be a segment focusing on letting the skeletons out of your closet. If you're looking for advice or want to share a secret, head to allpretendingpod.com. And remember, we're all just pretending here. Well, some, some room cheese, temperature. Especially room temperature. Yeah, like yeah. Brie.
1: Brie is, yeah. Kim hello. Yeah, but I'm not eating Brie every day.
0: <laughs> I mean,
1: I could, I'm, no, I, could. I couldn't eat Brie every day. Brie's really good. Anything but
0: I can't. with a thick rind so like, or wax treatment on the outside,
1: you know, it's refrigerated. Oh, I thought you were mm-hmm. going to say, I eat that every day. No, I mean, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I'm with the more rind. Of
0: a rind. I'm more of a fresh mozzarella kind of a gal. Have you ever
1: made mozzarella?
0: I have. My and ricotta and cheese. We were talking
1: about making mozzarella. They're very similar processes. We should try. Mm-hmm. It's a lot One of day.
0: washing with brine. Yeah. Cheese talk. <laughs> ricotta is very easy
1: to make, though, if you yeah. ever want to make your own. Well, for, that, like, I mean, ricotta doesn't have to be, like, in a ball. No. Right? You have it's to. Just, it's like crumblies.
0: Well. Isn't ricotta crumblies? Or it's not crumbles, it but yeah, yeah. It's it's soft.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so like, with, a, like a spread. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. Yeah. So with, like. Mozzarella, it starts as that, but you just have to keep squishing it and squishing it, yeah, squishing and it and draining it and squishing it, and then washing the and
1: then draining yeah. and squishing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's end the podcast. So <laughs> sorry, that for was cheese corner. <laughs> Vicky and Chanel, Dude, you have to know as like two girls from the Midwest, we're like, here for fucking cheese. We are so
0: close to Wisconsin, we are practically cheeseheads. Yeah, Yeah.
1: (laughs) practically. We're not though.
0: Practically. Only by taste. (laughs) Yes.
1: Um, Yeah, so that has been our show. Uh, We have, I think, one event coming up. We just passed Mm -hmm. Parapalooza. I'm sure we'll talk about it the next time we're recording. Yes. Because for here in the past, it hasn't happened yet. Yes. We're, we're time <laughs> travelers.
0: <Yes. laughs> we Wee! have another event, if you missed that one. Mm. September, probably the second weekend of September. Um, we Hopefully. haven't got the exact date yet. Not sure yet. Um, but we're going to be back at the Elgin Fringe Festival doing a live show. And you can get tickets and information at an elginfringefestival.com, I believe, is the website. Um You can get individual tickets. They start at like 7-12 or get festival passes. Then you can see everything. There's all kinds of shows, musicians, um, other podcasts. There's a bunch of plays. There's some dancers. There'll be an art show. Like There's lots of stuff going on. All downtown Elgin. Um, it's always a good time. You do have to, in case you haven't gone last year, you have to buy a button Mm. to get into all of the places as well as a ticket or a festival pass. So don't forget to get your button with your tickets. They won't let you in otherwise. Yes. Um, you can come
1: see us. Yeah. Listen to us. It'll be fun. It's always, I I love working with fringe. It's Mm. always a good time. Hopefully the weather it's not, I know it's going to be July, but I'm hoping it's not like 150 degrees. It's going to be September, Vicky. September. September. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking. Of,
0: oh my God. Hopefully it's not rainy because you have to walk to all the places oh, to get. Oh,
1: yes. Yeah. Because
0: it's all, Hopefully it's a, all different
1: venues in Belgium. Yes. So um, I
0: think that's all we got right now. That's all yeah? we have currently. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We might well, be taking some time off too. I can, oh, yes. We, we want to just let you know that that might be coming up soon. Yeah. In October, we might be taking some time off.
1: So. we'll see what we have
0: available we might put out an episode we might not
1: yeah so (laughs) the way it'll so i think we've briefly talked about this Mm -hmm. when we kind of decided because we have been running the show for five years yes and we have never taken a break break. (laughs) we always have something coming out on schedule um (laughs) it comes out it comes out when it should yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so the talk is we'll be, we will not be recording the month of October, mm-hmm. which means you will not be getting episodes the month of November, mm-hmm. essentially. Yes. So just keep that in mind. There is going to be a little break for us, but we will definitely be back um, after that. We just got life things, you know. Yeah,
0: it's the busiest season for both of us. <laughs> It's and time. also it's spooky season. Yeah. And I actually want to fucking enjoy it this time. Yes.
1: Yeah. And like we said, we've never taken a break. So Yeah, I, never. I was like mm, We'll be glad to have a vacation. I'm gonna float this idea to you sure. because um, I'm down for it. I'm yeah. going to die. I'm gonna be traveling yeah. Maybe so much. <laughs> maybe we'll have some 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 things. We might have like yeah. some lost tapes or something coming mm. out, but um we might have we might have some live shows, but
0: yeah. Who we're knows. not we're not too sure about how we're gonna do that just yet. But, but
1: just so everybody knows, yes. don't expect a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. The end of this year is gonna be yeah. quiet. <laughs>
1: um if you enjoyed this podcast, or I'm sorry, if you enjoyed this episode, you can We find, know you enjoy this podcast. If obviously. you made it this far, um, <laughs> you can find more episodes like this at badtastepodcast.com where you can also find links to our donate and merch page. Um, or you can contact us. Like if you have an episode suggestion, we'd love to hear yeah. it. Just shoot us a little email on our contact page mm-hmm. and we'll look into it. All right. Can't promise a response, but we'll look that at note. it. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, our sound it, our sound and editing is by Tim Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crown Podcast. We will see you in two weeks.
0: Au revoir au revoir,
1: au revoir.
0: Mi amor. Mi, mi. bye <laughs> <laughs> it was as if a wave of evil washed over
1: this town <laughs> <laughs> we are all in
0: some form or-